I, I don't know about you, but for me, um, waiting can be painful. Any, anybody, uh, you know, I just, I hate standing in lines, you know, uh, we'll go someplace and there's a line of people out the door and I'm like, let's do something else. You know, I just, I hate waiting. And one of the worst, I think, growing up, we would go to the grandparents' house, my, my dad's parents. And they had, first of all, they had one of those silver Christmas trees with a big light that's supposed to change colors. And as a kid, I remember thinking, it's silver. Oh, the entire time. I don't know if you remember those or not. Maybe I'm just old, but uh, it had a big color wheel and anyhow. And, but here's the thing. We would go to the grandparents' house. They had the big silver tree and all these packages under it, and we couldn't open any until after dinner. So the kids are there like, ah, because the best parents really come from the grandparents, you know, because they have the money, you know, they're, they're getting you. I had to wear a broken watch for two weeks uh, before my grandparents would buy me a watch for Christmas because they wanted to see if I could keep a broken watch. I don't know. Anyhow, it didn't make any sense to me then, and it doesn't make any sense to me today. But waiting. And so my mom, she was pretty smart. And she would keep us busy with stuff. Things that probably didn't need to be done or that anyone could have done, but she gave assignments to the kids, right? Go set the table, go do this, go put that. My older brother, he was uh, big enough that he could like carry some of the food out to the table. She gave us things to occupy our time. And so when I read through this scripture today, and we're going to be reading 2 Peter 3, uh, 8 through 15, so if you want to go there. But as I read through this uh, scripture Peter's going to say some of the same things. Basically, you know, while you're waiting or as you're waiting. Um, and, and for Peter, what he's talking about is the end times. As we're waiting for all these events to happen for the Lord's return, this is kind of what we should be doing. So Second Peter, third chapter, um, beginning with verse 8. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy section. Uh, he doesn't get to, uh, since you're waiting for this to happen for several verses, but I want you to get the context here and the flow. So 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. To the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, the way some people understand slowness, but God is being patient with you. He does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. Amen. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The skies will disappear with a loud noise. Everything in them will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be exposed. In that way, everything will be destroyed. So what kind of people should you be? You should live holy lives and serve God. As you wait for and look forward to the coming of the day of God, when the day comes, the skies will be destroyed with fire, and everything in them will melt with heat. But God made a promise to us, and we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth where goodness lives. Dear friends, since you are waiting for this to happen, do your best to be without sin and without fault. Try to be at peace with God. Remember that we are saved. Because our Lord is patient. Man, I think not only was my, were my parents patient with me, but God has been amazingly patient with me. 
I don't know about you, I do some really stupid things. And as I look back through my life, which maybe we shouldn't do, I see some really bad behavior in my life. And I realize that God has been patient trying to bring me where he wants me to be. C.S. Lewis said, uh, and, and then before I get to that, I just want to repeat this because uh, Peter's line, since you are waiting for this to happen, and, and as I read through this, I kept thinking, what is it that we're waiting for? What are we waiting for, and what are we going to do in the meantime? C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Man, I think that's true. You know, Christians kind of need to raise their eyes, and we need to begin to see things as God sees things. And so when Peter says, live holy lives and serve God, if we believe in the reality of the next life, shouldn't we be living this life differently? And, and I think all my life, you know, as I've struggled and fallen and whatever, the one thing that probably played on my heart more and more was that if I truly believe in God and the promises of God, that needs to be reflected in how I live my life. And I don't know that I've done a great job with that, but that's what weighs heaviest on me. And I hope it weighs heavily on you that God desires us to live differently. When we focus all too often on this life, it's so easy to lose sight of the next. One of my mom's favorite hymns was uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You know the hymn? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, the more we focus on what's important, the less time we have to focus on what's not important, which is the things around us. They're not as important as our heavenly calling. Romans 10 puts it this way. Romans, uh, sorry, Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. I, I suppose a better at least a more dramatic thing is uh, in Second Kings when uh, Elisha and his servant are in Dotham. You remember the story? It's Second Kings six, I think. And uh, in Second Kings six, Elisha has been telling the Israelite army where the enemy is going to wait in ambush for them. Remember the story? And uh, the king of Ammon says, who has been, who's been working for the enemy here? And they go, no, no, it's Elisha. He's telling these a prophet, and he's telling the people where to go. So they find that Elisha's in Dothan. I get this idea that it's a small city up on top of this hill. I don't, must be some truth to it because of what's going to happen next. And, uh, and that the servant gets up early in the morning, I guess, washing down the mules or something, whatever servants do. 
and he looks out, and you know what he sees? Who knows? You remember the story, Sunday school story? He looks out, and he sees the enemy camped all around, right? And the servant runs back into Elisha, and he says, man, I told you not to be doing this. <laughs> Look, they're here. They're going to kill us, right? Something like that. And Elisha stumbles out, and I get this idea that he stumbles out and kind of stretches, and he looks down, and he goes, I oh, don't worry about it. Those that are with us are more than those against us. That's my abridged version. Let me, let me read for you what it actually says. But Elisha's servant got up early, and when he went out, he saw an army with horses and chariots all around the city. The servant said to Elisha, oh, my master, what can we do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid. The army that fights for us is larger than the one against us. And I think at this point, the servant has to be thinking, man, there's no one here but you, me, and these mules, right? And Elisha prayed, Lord, open my servant's eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. If there's one prayer that I pray for myself and for all y'all out there, I pray that God will open our eyes and let us see his reality and his world. That's the next life. You see, that's the unseen life. That's the spiritual life. That's the life that's all around us that we simply need to open our eyes to. And so when I see Peter saying, that we need to live holy lives and serve God. I think that that's part of it. And since we're waiting for this to happen, what is it we're waiting for? How is our vision on God's priorities? You know, I, I kiddingly said, you know, uh, last year, you, you would think in a year like 2020, we would have had the 2020 vision to see what was going to happen. Uh, and then I realized that's no joke. Uh, that, it was a horrible year. It caused a lot of people to lose sight of things that were important. We began to focus on all kinds of things. And certainly the year was a tough year. But our vision should still be on God's priorities and what God desires. And all the other things can fall into place if we keep that vision on God. Peter goes on to say, do your best to be without sin and without fault. And I, I thought that was such a strange term. Is Peter saying that we should be perfect? And may, maybe he is, that that should be our goal, that we should strive for per perfection. But then I realized it should be without sin and without fault. And I'm like, what's the difference? Why is there an and there? And I think if we examine our lives, are we able to say that we're doing our best to live without fault? Not simply without sin, but without fault. And I think the difference between those two is the difference between doing something wrong, that's sin, and not doing something right. Maybe that's what's living without fault. Because the early church in Acts 2, Acts 2.47, it says that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I, I want to be like that church. To be busy about bringing people in who are outside the faith. I, I, I want to be, you, you know, where Peter starts this whole passage of scripture is 
he starts out by saying, the Lord is not slow about his promise, but he's being patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. He's waiting on us, I think, to do our jobs. We've been given one commission. When Jesus left, he gave us one great commission, right? Jesus came to them and said, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go and make followers of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. We're to be about the Lord's work. We're, we're to raise our eyes and to be looking at the things that other people can't see and realizing that our hope is not in this world. It's not in doctors and it's not in Pfizer and it's not in any of those things that we can see. Our hope is in Christ and our hope is in God. Since you're waiting for this to happen, what are we waiting for? Do your best to be without sin and without fault. If we're honestly waiting for the Lord's return, I think it should translate into behavior in our daily lives. Francis Schaeffer, what got me started on this, I, I remembered um, a book that we read back in college. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, How Should We Then Live, based on some of these scriptures. And Francis Schaeffer in that book writes, there is a flow to history and culture this flow is rooted and has its wellspring in the thoughts of people. People are unique in the inner life of the mind. What they are in their thought world determines how they act. This is true of their value systems, and it's true of their creativity. It's true of their corporate actions, such as political decisions, and it's true of their personal lives. The results of their thought world flow through their fingers, or from their tongues into the external world. Our focus, the things that we look at, the things that we focus on is what consumes us. It's what we talk about, it's what we write about, it's what we think about. And I hope that it's raising our eyes towards God and having that godly focus. There's a uh, there's a story of an elderly preacher whose grandson was joining the military and was in boot camp, and Grandpa, being a preacher, knew it's tough for young Christians in the military. So he wrote him a letter. He said, hey, you know, I, I hope you're doing okay. I, I hope they're not teasing you. I know it can be kind of brutal to be a Christian and uh, basically kind of unchristian group and whatever, I, I hope you're doing okay. And the young man wrote back, don't worry, Grandpa, I don't think anyone knows yet. That's not how we ought to live. Everything in our lives should manifest whose we are, who we belong to, and the light of Christ's love should shine out from us. Since you're waiting for this to happen, Peter says, so what is it we're waiting for? Are we working to redeem the lost? Are we doing our best to live without sin and without fault? Are we loving our neighbor and letting God's light shine in us? And then Peter ends with this. Try to be at peace with God. I, I think this impacts not our behavior, but our hearts, our attitude, specifically our attitude towards God. 
right? I, I guess I always try and say something scathing, so this is probably it. Um, I realized as I was putting this together, I don't ever want to study the Bible just so I can know the Bible better. I hope that I always approach the Bible with the idea that I want to know God better. God gave us the Bible to know him. I think that too many Christians approach scripture like we're studying for a test and we memorize words. But we fail to understand that the words need to travel from our heads to our hearts. As a parent, I don't know how well I did, but I tried to change, while he was young, a child, my child's behavior. Sometimes through rewards and punishments. But the purpose, the end desire, is not to simply change his behavior, but to change it and mold his heart. I think that's what all parents want. And I think that's what God wants. God desires not just to change in our behavior, not just to change and avoid sin, but to live lives without fault. Our hearts totally focus on him. So what are we waiting for? Since you're waiting for this to happen, what are we doing in the meantime? What are we waiting for? How is our heart and how is our focus on God? As I struggled with this, I, I actually had a phone call with Jack Irwin. And he said, uh, we're, we're more than likely going to have a guest speaker for a few weeks coming in who's going to be going through this scripture. And I'm like, yes, these are the words that Jesus gives on how we ought to live. It's from Matthew, the fifth chapter. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Peter says, since you're waiting for this to happen, what are we waiting for? I mean, I expect some great things to happen. What Peter is talking about is the end of this world, the end of, of the physical world and the redemption of mankind to God's kingdom. So what is it we're waiting for? The expectation of something good, something great, of God's ultimate redemption means that we need to take the next step and to become the Christians that God desires, right? To raise our eyes and to keep our focus up here on what God desires for us. So I pray, I pray that that's what consumes us. 
that we're allowing God to make us and remake us into better people. Let's stand and pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and for this time together. And may we seek your presence always in all the things that we, we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.